When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Why do people with normal cholesterol levels get heart attacks? Heart surgeon Dr. Philip Ovedia believes it's because of poor metabolic health, not cholesterol. After performing over 3,000 heart surgeries, Dr. Ovedia decided to work on prevention and not just treatment. In his book, Stay Off My Operating Table, Dr. Ovedia shows you his seven principles of metabolic health and how to use them to reduce your risk of heart disease. Get your free audiobook version of Stay Off My Operating Table at ifixhearts.com forward slash Zuby. That's ifixhearts.com forward slash Zuby to get your free audiobook. Go check it out. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. We're about to have another amazing conversation. Today's guest is a writer and cultural commentator, and this is Rubes Awesome. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Zuby. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you. So, Rubes, please explain to the people a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Yeah, so I'll start with I started studying neuroscience back in 2019 at university. Didn't really like it, so I switched over to psychology. Um, but what I do as a career is entirely unrelated to both of those things. I'm a freelance writer, and I use Twitter as a sort of megaphone for my writing and research. Um, some of the things that I talk heavily about on my Twitter is uh, an idea that I was inspired by from Carl Jung. His psychology is really what set the stage for my ideologies, which are we're living in a godless world, a uh, world where meaning um, doesn't really exist. And so we're suffering from higher rates of mental illness. We're suffering from a loneliness epidemic. And I, I found that these things weren't really talked about at my university. When you study psychology in university, it's very much... You know, what's the science of it? Um, how, do we, how do we make it so that 
we can use pills to solve all of the crises that people are facing. But when you read something like Carl Jung, he's talking about the human soul, which is an idea that nobody really talks about anymore. So that's what I'm largely interested in. And the question that I'm kind of debating in public is what is God's role in people's life and why is he still important today as he was years and years and years ago? Mm -hmm. When you say that we're living in a godless world, what do you mean by that? So I'll go back to talking about how in religion, many religions in the world, there is a concept that as we progress in society, scientifically and technologically, we're going to enter an era where people will forget that God created the world. Um, we're going to enter an era where humanity is going to see itself as the greatest creation ever. We are, we are God, essentially, and we can build all of these great things. And so we'll start worshiping ourselves. And I believe that this already started back in like the 17th century with the Enlightenment, when we let go of the, the, the idea of God's importance in our life. I'll quote this book that I read called The Ancient Regime, uh, where it said that society and civilization shifted from eternal salvation. How do we reach eternal salvation? How do we get to heaven to how do we achieve worldly satisfaction? What can we do in the world that can make our life fulfilled? And so that's essentially our goal now. That's what modern life is all about. How do I get, how do I get wealth? How do I obtain the nicest things? Um, how do I make, how do I become happy? How do I become self-fulfilled? But we've abandoned the way to get there, which is through God. We don't mention God as much anymore. God is almost like a taboo world. People will use all sorts of other abstractions to talk about God, the universe, the, <laughs> you know, all these the other words. Right. Higher yeah. Power. Like yeah. God is a taboo word. And alongside God, we've also forgotten that human beings actually have a soul. Right. For us now, it's like, well, human beings are animals with overgrown brains. We have chemicals that we can tinker with and we can program ourselves. But then what about the energy that's inside of us? What about that? Right. That's been largely forgotten. And when you say that, are you specifically talking about the West, the modern Western world, or are you talking about the world? Because I often find that when people say the world, they really mean sort of a subsection of 1 billion people in a certain part of the world. Yeah, so I'll give you a bit of backstory on myself. I grew up in Pakistan. I, was, mm -hmm. I spent a large chunk of my childhood there. I, we moved to Canada when I was eight. I've seen both sides of the coin. I've, seen, I've lived in a society and I was raised by my grandparents. So I was even more in touch with the previous world or the, you know they call it the old world, which was post-industrialization and all of that. Um, so my grandparents were very religious and they were very, not just religious, but spiritual in the sense that they, they believed in superstitions. They believed in magic, angels, demons, and they had these folklores and myths and stories that they would tell me. Um, and then we moved to Canada and I saw the flip side of the coin, which is a society that doesn't really talk about any of that, a society that is very focused on the individual, the material world, um, the the rat race essentially of you know you need to work you need to make money 
religion has largely been forgotten. And I don't mean one single religion. I mean, you know, even Muslims or, or Jewish individuals, Christians that live in the Western world, they're, they're divorced from their religion in all aspects, right? Whereas if you go to somewhere like Pakistan, uh, the same religions will be booming. Um, mm -hmm. There will be, uh, uh, there's like a call to prayer in Pakistan in mosques that said very loudly over a speakerphone so that everybody can hear it. Nothing like that happens in the West. So yes, I would say that when I talk about the world, I do mean more of the Western world than I do say the Eastern world or South Asia or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know a little bit more about your, your background and backstory before we get back into some of these topics. So run me through, just tell me a little bit about your, your life. You said you grew up partly in Pakistan. You were raised mm -hmm. by your grandparents, but mm -hmm. tell me about your, tell me about your upbringing. Yeah, so I grew up in Pakistan. I lived there till I was eight, as I mentioned. I grew up with my grandparents because my dad, he moved to Canada earlier than us just because he wanted to make a living here and then sponsor us. So he was an immigrant to Canada. Um, and my dad is my biggest example of discipline and sacrifice. And just like everything he is as a man basically set the stage for me of, you know, what how life should be lived and so he came all the way here he he struggled um worked three different jobs just to make a living buy a condo so that his kids could come here for a for a better life and i have four siblings there's five of us in total um and so we moved to canada and again i saw this difference i growing up i was kind of in the middle of a cultural clash right so growing up at home I was being raised, my parents are Muslim, and so I was being raised with Muslim principles and values. And then you go out into a secular society and you almost face like this uh, conflict of values and principles of what should I take, what should I leave? Uh, and so my childhood growing up was very dynamic. Um, and that actually is what got me interested in psychology as well, because I really started to question, you know, how do human beings differ? How do human beings live in different societies? Um, but at the very core of it, what's still the same about all of us? So I started having these questions. I started, I attended university and I was raised in a household where it's, you know, my parents came here for a better life for their kids. And so they were like, you should become a doctor. Um, and so I went into neuroscience and I was interested in it. But a couple years in, I was like, you know, this really isn't for me. And so I started studying psychology. And that's when I came across Carl Jung and started reading him. He changed my life dramatically just because I was living in a secular society. But Carl Jung talks a lot about how even though we live in secular in a secular society in the Western world, we still need uh, religion and God and these symbols and myths that make our life more meaningful. So I started studying him. That's when I also joined Twitter. I think this was like in 2020, got really serious about Twitter, started posting more content on that. And then my ideas really gained or caught fire, I would say when I started saying, hey, what about the human soul? I feel like we've forgotten about the human soul. Um, we're too focused on logic and reason. And we've completely abandoned um, what gives human life it's magic, I believe. Mm -hmm. So our emotions, our dreams, 
um, our experiences, how dynamic and wide the human experience is, I feel like that's been kind of forgotten. So I started talking about that and then I became a freelance writer. I, there's another thing that I'm very uh, passionate about aside from just psychology and that's we're living in a world now where especially the Western world, human beings are just chained and slaved to like their work and their, uh, their pills and alcohols and everything. That's just, a, that's just a way to cope with the life that we're living in the Western world, which is a very fast paced rat race life. So I became a freelancer in 2020 when COVID hit because I wanted to break away from that. I wanted to kind of head in the more entrepreneur direction and that was largely unheard of in my family. Like I only have one uncle who started his own business. Everybody else is like academia is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't see it that way. So I started doing freelancing. And ever since then, I've just used Twitter as kind of my megaphone. I hear that. And what's been the how's the response from your your family been like it, on this? It, with, especially um, with you going out there and, you know, posting stuff on Twitter and writing articles and blog posts and things like that. What do they think of it? Uh, my parents are really, really proud of me. Like they're they're over the moon with everything that I've created. And I, I was like, I'm going to be on Sufi's podcast today. And they were like so uh, happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, cool. they support me to the fullest. And um, I think for them, it's new, obviously, because nobody in my family has done this. Like everybody's gone to university, gotten a degree, and then, you know, just gone on their way to whatever field they chose. And there's, I'm almost like the black sheep in the family where I broke away from that and I kind of created my own path. And so it's a mixed bag. They're proud of me, but they also don't really understand it. So like yeah. if I go outside or something, I have to explain to family what I do. It's always mixed responses like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I can tell they don't really understand. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you that sometimes, uh, you know, it, it might take, I don't know, a, a decade plus for certain people to be able to understand it. Yeah. The best the best way to do it is just just show and prove. I mean, I yeah. I, I left my corporate job in 2011 and I've been yeah. self-employed for, you know, over 11 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And you, as I'm sure you can imagine in, in 2011, there were a lot of people who didn't get what I was, what I was doing or why mm -hmm. I was doing it or, you know, why I'd leave something so stable for something right. that looks so unstable. Um, but then, yeah, once you, once mm -hmm. you hit certain levels, hit certain levels of success with it and people start to be like, all right, maybe, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I still don't totally get it, but like, yeah. He's clearly doing really well, so right, you know, good right. for him. Yeah, <laughs> right. And I, I, I hear that, and I, I, I know you studied at Oxford, and then you were doing rapping on the side and everything. I, I thought that was so cool, and I know that's an inspiration for many people too. Where it's like, hey, like you know, you can study at a university, but that doesn't mean that you have to go out and go into a very specific career field. Like I think the internet has given us so much opportunity to make work play like it should feel like play that's my that's my uh ideology i guess that i follow where it's like when i work i want it to feel like play i want it to feel like mm. it's something fun that i go and i get to share my creative vision with the world it's not like i'm chained to a desk and i you know hate my life and i hate what i do and i'm just doing it because i want to make money mm -hmm. well i i tell people that a university degree is to open doors not to close them right 
100 percent, and i agree with that and i think you know people will be like well you studied psychology why did you go into business and i'm like my psychology education was the biggest like the most firm foundation i could have received in business i think if you want to do business if you want to be an entrepreneur you don't necessarily need a business degree you should study something else you should study something that teaches you about human beings that teaches you about the way society functions because you know if you there's this weird thing that if you go to med school like i was studying neuroscience if you want to study to go to med school they almost encourage you to take something other than a science field because they want you to be a creative individual. They don't want you to be somebody that just reads books and memorizes things and regurgitates them, right? Like that's not, that's not anything. That's, you're just showcasing how good you are at memorizing something. I hear that. So coming back to what we mentioned before, you, there's two words that sp- jumped out in my mind, which you mentioned, you talked about meaning and purpose. You said that mm-hmm. there's you know, there's no or there's less meaning and there's no or there's less purpose now. How do you see the what's the connection in your mind between the absence of religiosity or belief in God, the godlessness that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. and this lack of meaning and purpose that you're seeing in society? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So it goes back to the fact that when we don't have a higher purpose to our life, and what I mean by that is, when you read a religious text it tells you that you are more than just a human being with a short amount of time on earth life is a battleground life is a test you are here to accomplish something there's somebody greater than you that's overseeing all of this this world is a stage it's been created by something that's much bigger than you there are angels and demons fighting against you know fighting for or against good and bad Um, And your role on earth is pivotal um, to overcoming, overcoming evil, overcoming darkness. And so when you read a religious text like that, you're like, wow, like I'm not just an animal with an overgrown brain. You know, I'm I'm something much more magical. I have a higher purpose and religion will outline the values and principles you should live by. So. All of the emotions that we feel as human beings that are inherently a bit negative, like greed, um, gluttony, uh, lust, anger, all of those things, there's religion outlines a way to overcome those or not entirely overcome those, but live with them, accept them, understand your nature, and yet still go about living in a way that can be beneficial to yourself and other other human beings. I think what religion does really well is that it tells you to live for others. It tells you to create something good for society and the collective as a whole, not just focus on yourself, right? Because you have a role and a responsibility to something greater than you. Mm-hmm. If you strip human life of that, if you tell people that your life has no purpose other than the fact that you're just here, you're going to live for like 60, 70 years you're going to die and it's all for nothing. I think that is the greatest source of despair in a person's life, right? Because then what does your happiness mean? Even bigger than that, what does your suffering mean? Mm -hmm. Because when we suffer as human beings, we ponder, right? Like, I, I think we can forget God when we're happy. We do, right? When we're happy, when everything's going well, we're like, well, who cares? Like, life is great. But when we suffer, 
when we're in pain, when something goes wrong, when people die that are close to us, when we get a, a disease like cancer, for example, right? Then we're going to be like, well, what is the point, right? Why are we here? What is the meaning of my suffering? And religion, or and even if you just throw away religion, you can say God or spirituality, it gives you a meaning for your suffering, right? It says that, you know, even though you're suffering here in the world, you're going to attain something much greater in the afterlife. So even though you're suffering here and it feels very real, it feels like it's going to kill you. It feels like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. This is a test for you. Your life is a battleground. And if you can overcome this, there's a reward. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you tell a person that what that does for them is that it gives them hope. Yes. And so human life is a battle between fear and hope. And I think most human beings now are living in a state of fear and despair and oh, hopelessness. And so when you live in a world like that, when you live in a world that has no magic, what happens? Right. Like now we're seeing suicide record, like suicide records are at an all time high. Mm -hmm. We're in a loneliness epidemic where uh, people are finding strange, strange ways to cope, you know, changing your gender. Like that's just a way to cope with the idea that you don't understand who you are. You don't understand why you're here. You don't know what purpose you serve. And so you can change yourself into whoever you want, but that doesn't mean you're going to find fulfillment. You can take, you can drink all the alcohol you want. You can take your medicine. That's going to change the chemical imbalance in your brain. But what is that going to do for you? If at the end of the day, you still feel empty, you still feel like there is no meaning or greater purpose to your why you're living on this earth. How do you think this affects men and women in different ways? Because I know from your feed, you talk a lot about femininity. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious to know your thoughts on what you think is going on with both particularly young men and young women. There's going to be some shared problems and struggles and challenges, mm -hmm. but I also think that there are some that are quite unique to each of the genders. And yes, there's only two. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll speak for women first, just because I, I find that um, there, there's a lot of men out there, especially you, who are great role models for men and are talking about all of the despair and the, the unique challenges that men are facing. Um, I would love to see more women doing that for other women because here's the thing i find that young women i especially like i faced this when i was 16 um, when i was in high school uh, when a woman lives in an environment where her worth is her body right her worth is her body she's only she's told that her value is in how beautiful she is um and nothing other than that um, or her value is in how much she can work. Uh, there's a very core part of femininity that's stripped away, which is, I believe that every, every woman is born to be a mother. I, I say that not because every woman will become a mother. You know, there are very unique circumstances where women cannot have children or they never end up having children for whatever reason. But I say the reason that every woman is born a mother, mother is that we have the unique traits and inherent, yeah, traits, inherent traits that make us fit to be a mother, right? So our intuition, our wisdom, 
if you read the Bible, uh, God is uh, the pronouns used are he. So God is masculine. But mm -hmm. when the Bible mentions wisdom, the pronouns are she. Right. Mm -hmm. So God created the world alongside wisdom. So masculine and feminine working together. Um, so I think this core or inherent traits of motherhood are being stripped away from women. So we see that in, you know, pushing women to take birth control, uh, pushing women to leave behind the idea of um, having children or being a wife to pursue uh, work or to, to pursue something entirely different. Like I know that a lot of women now get abortions because they don't feel fit to be mothers. But I honestly believe a large part of that is because so many women are on are on birth control and it's actually messing up their hormones. It's actually making them feel out of touch with the natural biological instincts that they have. Mm, even I making them attracted to different types of men. A hundred percent. I've read mm. about that and I think there's a very compelling case there as well. So when you give people these chemicals, right, to change their natural biological balance their hormone hormonal balance what happens their entire their entire biology changes they're not going to be attracted to the same things that a an, a woman who hasn't taken birth control is going to be attracted to right they're not going to be attracted to ideas of motherhood they're not going to be attracted to ideas of um being a wife or being a, a house uh caretaker they're going to be attracted to much more masculine ideas because the chemistry is off right so but here's the thing. I have so many friends, um, women in their 30s. I'm, I'm 23. I'm turning 24. So I have friends who are in their 30s. They all say the same thing to me. They're like, you know, we went on birth control at a very young age, like 16, 17, some even younger, never got off birth control until their 30s. And the reason they started to get off their birth control is because that drive for some reason kicks into high gear. So when you hit 30, you're like, I actually want to be a mother. I actually, you know, feel like I've been told a lie about the life I'm supposed to live. And so that kicks into overdrive. But then what happens is that when these women get off birth control, they don't know anything about their bodies. They don't know anything about womanhood. And so they're lost and confused at the age of 30 about how they're supposed to deal with their hormones, how they're supposed to deal with these desires and how they're supposed to cultivate a life that is actually going to be suited to these desires. Wow. Yeah, that's heavy. I think both males, both men and women in different ways have been knocked out of their, you know, masculinity and femininity, respectively, and mm -hmm. not just knocked out of them, but also our society and culture is often trying to force them into the different frames, right? It's trying to force women into a masculine framing mm -hmm. and simultaneously trying to force men, young men in particular, into this feminine framing. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, as you've already talked about, you're knocking out the roots of everything that actually keeps people grounded and sane and feeling meaning and purpose, everything from the family unit to yeah. religious roots to everything. And the results of this experiment, for the most part, do not seem to be positive. I mean, I've never heard more people in my life talking about depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and trauma and this and this. Yeah. Like, everyone, everyone suddenly has some stuff, right? Like this sort mm -hmm. of emotional 
baggage and this direction directionlessness. And um, it's so interesting because I, I think that especially in the 90s, and I'd even say in the early thousands, I assume it, this, this started earlier than that. Mm -hmm. But I know from my own life that I remember, especially in, yeah, especially in that time frame, a lot of people had this idea. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of like the, the new atheist movement, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people had this idea that if you could just, if we could just get people away from religion and God and superstitions and all that stuff, yeah. if we can just get rid of that, then everyone's going to become these sort of enlightened, super rational, super logical, yeah. you know, very grounded, um, clear thinking people, mm -hmm. right? And I just see the opposite. I mean, look at the last three years that we've just lived through. I mean, you want to talk, people want to talk about science, like science went out the window. Mm -hmm. um, it got replaced by the science, which, you know, became the secular religion, mm -hmm. which people are now bowing down and worshiping, you know, the gods of the gods of COVID or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, doing their little rituals and bizarre, you know, getting their fifth baptism at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah that's a great way to put it. <laughs> wearing their magical talismans over yeah. their face, you know, to show fealty towards their yeah. cause and everything, you know, and casting out any heretic or blasphemer yep. who dares say that, uh, you know, what, what they're, it, it, it's been real fascinating to me. It's, it's, right. it's really interesting because it shows how, I mean, I believe that I, I've, I've suspected this for a long time, but mm -hmm. I, I strongly now believe that human beings are inherently religious right. and you can, when I say religious, I don't mean that everyone follows a traditional religion, but what I mean is human beings are designed to, you know, have this desire for everything from a sense of, you know, community, meaning, purpose, a sense of morality, a sense of something metaphysical that's outside of just what we can see. It's mm -hmm. also why I kind of find it interesting where how so many people who would describe them, you know, a lot of people who are atheistic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how they're they still go on these searches for spirituality or they're right. super interested in like psychedelics and, you know, trying to get in touch mm -hmm. with the soul. And I'm like, that's so fascinating to me. Um, because yeah. to, to me, that's like, you're, you're still trying to find that thing, which yeah. for someone, you know, with a more traditional religious worldview, you, you know, you, you get that from your belief mm -hmm. in God and your faith in your religion. Um, but it's like, if you take that away, other people will find it in politics. People literally found it in, uh, the, the the pandemic and the mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. around it um some people find it in hardcore hardcore feminism or yep. hardcore other ideologies some people find it in hardcore veganism and you know yeah. they base their entire it becomes a religion to them right it's right. not it's not just it's not just i eat a plant-based diet it's like no this is like i've 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 come across people who won't even talk to or associate with people who mm -hmm. eat meat or animal products, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, wow. I'm like, you're you're more zealous than most religious people, right? Right. Like, right. if you came across if you came across uh, a Muslim who won't even talk to or associate with non-Muslims, or you came across a Christian or a Jew who won't even won't even associate with other people who don't share their beliefs, you'd be like, whoa, that person well, is like. You extreme. would call them an extremist. You would call them yeah. an extremist, and they would be ridiculed in society, right? We don't we don't tolerate people who are extreme in their religious views, but we tolerate people and we actually encourage people to be extreme in these plant you know the views that are based around mm -hmm. science. Um and you and you said something great. We're actually hardwired to worship something. 
And so when you take away God, when you take away uh, religion, what you find is that people will just gravitate towards um, creating idols out of anything. And this has been happening for a very long time. For example, in every Abrahamic religion, um, you know, it says Jesus came because people started to worship idols again. Uh, or that Prophet Muhammad came in Islam because people started to worship idols. And so we always had to course correct. I think that the, the thing is that we haven't had any course correction in a long time. Like we haven't had on a large scale, a new religion come about that is focused on God alone, except, you know, science has become our religion. Science is that new religion where it's like, hey, no, um, worship this man-made religion, which is science. And, you know, we can change genders. We can create human beings now we're working on cloning we're just as good as god is or even better right so i think what's happened is that we've become a very me-centered society and what i mean by that is that we're very focused on us as human beings what can we what can we invent what can we create what can um how can we overcome god i think that's the focus of modern society um, I, I actually want to read something, if you don't mind, from like this book that I, I love. This is um, A Man and His Symbols. This is the book by Carl Jung that I tell almost everybody to read because he talks a lot about how reason and logic is actually our most tragic illusion. It's something that we rely so heavily on now because we want to believe only what the eye can see. So the reason why we're so focused on disproving God is because we can't see him. We can't see what he's done for the world, but we'd rather believe in science because we can actually see that with our eyes, right? We can see that, oh yeah, science can create these miracles. So let's believe in science instead of God. Um, and so he says yeah, here, read it. yeah, so he says here, man is bound to follow the adventurous promptings of his scientific and inventive mind and to admire himself for his splendid achievements. At the same time, his genius shows the uncanny tendency to invent things that become more and more dangerous. So what he's saying here is that we love to create new things. We love to advance technologically and we love to marvel at our own achievements, right? Like who would have thought you, uh, like maybe two decades ago, three decades ago that we would be um, changing genders, that we would be able to perform surgery to change somebody's gender. Right. But we look at ourselves like we've done something magnificent at the well, can same. I, can, I, can I jump in there and say yeah. ch change, change somebody's appearance? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't you I don't you can't change your gender. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. And then but now think about it. We we look at ourselves like we've done something great, like we've done. We've overcome God at the same time. What we've done is so dangerous to ourselves. Humankind is the only um creation that will actually do something that harms itself that will actually create <laughs> things that destroy us and be proud of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so this is the gist of this book yeah that's that's such a great statement human beings are i often say that humans are the best and worst things on the planet um right. i absolutely i love humanity i love people I, w I literally would not be able to do what I do for a living, all the various aspects for it, if I didn't mm -hmm. have a genuine deep love and care for the human species. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm also very deeply aware of both historically and in modern day times, how much 
awful stuff that humans have done to one another and continue to mm -hmm. and some of these ideas and just actions that people take and it's fascinating i guess this has been the the, the battle from the beginning right for all of these thousands of years is mm -hmm. recognizing you know the sort of virtues and flaws of our species and trying to navigate that i mean that's mm -hmm. how from philip from philosophers to you know priests and clerics right. and religious teachers like it, it lot it's really just like okay cool how do we navigate you know how do we how do we actually navigate through this entire mess of the human mm -hmm. experience and i think something that's so important for people to understand and i make this point all the time which is that you know we are we are not different from our ancestors in terms mm -hmm. of our in terms of our biology in terms of our emotions our basic needs all of that stuff we're the same you know we're the mm -hmm. same as our great grandparents our great great grandparents we haven't suddenly magically you know evolved a whole new way of right. operating um we the technology's changed the tech's changed and we have different you know we're at a different place in society and culture but people are still prone to the same virtues and vices as ever before how exactly that manifests and what it looks like is going to change you know people didn't have social media and the internet mm -hmm. uh a century ago but people still had their everyone just had their stuff and i think mm -hmm. every generation we get new challenges i think you're doing a fantastic job of recognizing some of the challenges of you. your your yours and future generations mm -hmm. honestly because it's it's real insight the type of stuff you're yeah. talking about um you know especially in your 20s i mean it's it's real insight because so many people just wander around and they're just stuck in the, the matrix if you want to call it right, that, right? And right. they're not they're not, yeah. they're not thinking about okay what is what's going on how are these things connected here's a great example and i, I mm -hmm. tweeted this uh, i tweeted something yesterday about how um because you know we always hear people talking about quote right. unquote mental health and i said you can't properly address mental health unless you're also going to address physical and spiritual right. health. Right. I saw that. Are, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Right. These things are all connected. People want to silo everything off as if you're like your your brain and your nervous system are part of your body. You can't you can't mm -hmm. separate. There's no separation between these things like the soul that's within you. However, mm -hmm. someone interprets that it's all integrated right. it's not oh okay my brain is over there mm -hmm. and my body mm -hmm. is over there it's like no it's all together which is why yeah. when you when one suffers other ones tend to when yeah. one improves other ones tend to anyone who exercises long term or short term you know the change it has on your mind yeah when you're in a bad place spiritually when you're feeling totally disconnected from god and disconnected from nature and disconnected yeah. from human consciousness you know that that has an effect on your mental health that I might actually make you less likely to want to eat the right foods or go to the gym. Mm -hmm. Similarly, you eat garbage, right? Eat a, eat a healthy meal and eat a garbage meal and do that consistently. And you'll see, okay, like the, the fuel you're putting into your body is changing everything from your mental to your physical mm -hmm. performance. Mm -hmm. It's affecting your sleep. It's affecting your mood, all of these things. And yeah, I think, uh, and I think that back in the day, people, I think even though they didn't have the science to kind of explain certain mechanisms and there are certain things that obviously people got horribly, horribly wrong in like the right. medical field, for example, <laughs> right. in terms of, right, where they just, oh, just let that person bleed. It'll yep. fix <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> like, you know, it's good we've made progress in that. But I think people at least had a better understanding of that integration 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, Carl Jung actually talks about this. I'll say a few things. Carl Jung talks about exactly what you've talked about, which is that we like to compartmentalize different aspects of a human being. So our soul's over there, our mind is over here, our heart is over here, when really it's all connected, right? If you take care of every aspect of your your existence, you'll feel the, the dramatic shift that happens. You'll feel content. I think the solutions that we're posing now are too heavily focused on just one aspect, which is the mind, right? We're neglecting the soul. We're neglecting our physical health, even, especially in the Western world. My life completely changed. In 2020, I started to work out. I started to eat much healthier because I was I was just going through a shift at that time in, in my life. Um, and I took the whole lockdown as an opportunity to kind of turn my life around. And I saw the effects of that. I saw how working out made me a more disciplined person, how it made me actually, I don't even know how to explain this, but I feel like working out makes you open to other, like more ideas. It makes you curious about the world. It makes you understand yourself better. And I saw those Mm. effects and that's what actually, that's what actually I would say made me somebody who was capable of being a freelancer, like being an entrepreneur, Uh, being somebody who was curious about God and religion and just like ideas that nourished my heart, soul and mind. And then fitness took care of the physical aspect of it. You know, it's hard to it's hard to explain the connection between it. Um, Mm. But Carl Jung, he also talks about this a lot. He says that there are some experiences in the human life that can't be put into words. I think the issue with science is that we try to quantify everything. We try to logically explain the human condition, right? Because we're constantly like, from the time of philosophers, as you said, we're trying to come up with the words to explain what life is. But Carl Jung says, maybe we can't. Like maybe we just shouldn't even bother doing it. Maybe we shouldn't bother trying to prove that God exists Maybe we should just take ideas that are meaningful, apply them to our life and see what that does for us. So he gives a great example in the book. He says that we salt our food, right? Because it makes our food taste good. Nobody sits down and goes, well, I want to know the history of when we started salting our food because I'm very (laughs) curious about this. And I would like to disprove that, you know, salt makes our food taste good. We don't do that, right? So then why do we do that with God? Why do we sit down and say, well, if we just believed in God, if we just believed in the values and principles that come with believing in God, our life would become more meaningful and better. But our ego and pride actually makes us rebel against that. It makes us rebel against the idea that there could be something bigger than us, that there could be something that could be more powerful than us, right? So I I almost feel like human existence is categorized by this idea of disproving God, just disproving his existence, just rebelling against things, rebelling against him, saying he doesn't exist, um, and then creating our own rules. And that's what the Enlightenment was. The Enlightenment was this uh, shift in civilization, which was, hey, like, you know, religions kind of messed up the world because, yeah, religion did in a way where there was a lot of corruption. There was a lot of um, wars that were fought. Um, mm-hmm. with the basis of them being on religion, right? Like wars against other um, countries based on the religions that they followed, et cetera, et cetera. There were empires built and destroyed on the basis of religion. 
Uh, and so the, the founders of the Enlightenment were like, well, let's disregard all of that. Let's create our own rule book. Let's figure out how to give people a better life. Let's figure out how to make human beings more fulfilled. But let's do that by um, through science. So what I mean by that is through logically writing down ideas that kind of make sense to the human mind, right? Everything that can have a cause and effect that makes sense, that we can see, hey, X will improve Y in the human life. Um, let's just take those ideas and let's build societies around it. And so that's what how we get modern society, right? Like better food, uh, better clothing, better medicine, um, better economy. All, de all, all, all debatable. Right, exactly. <laughs> this is what blows my mind. We're like, hey, religion caused all this corruption and we fought oh, all these wars. Just because it's not happening on the forefront anymore doesn't mean that the corruption doesn't exist in these governments and institutes that we've set up based on our own laws and rules. And doesn't mean that these wars don't happen. Like these wars are fought every day. They're just not happening in the Western world. Actually, we're, mm -hmm. we're the ones that are kind of like the hand behind the wars that go on in um, other countries. And maybe that's getting, that's being too uh, of a conspiracy theorist, but. No, it's, yeah. it's, it's true. Pro proxy wars are absolutely a thing. Right. There's, some, there's some going on right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing is as well is I, I also think it's not even totally fair or honest when people say that you know, even some of these, his yes, of course, there's been religious conflict and there mm -hmm. continues and there continues to be. Um, but the truth is most wars, like if you're talking actual wars and you're talking empire building, mm -hmm. it's typically about it's typically about resources, it's typically about resources mm -hmm. and influence and power. Mm -hmm. Now, can that be justified or rationalized with um, a religion? And, you know, can you can you jack people up for the war using mm -hmm. religion? Yes, you can also do it with political belief. You can also do it with various secular ideologies. I mean, look mm -hmm. at the 20th century, right? What was what was the role of religion and all that stuff? Right. Um, it, I it mean, what was quite, the role of the opposite? Yeah. What was the role of religion in people literally cutting off their families because they didn't get a vaccine? There you go. Well, I'd say from a secular, I mean, I, I use the term secular religion, which is intentionally an oxymoron, but also like a very real thing to me where people mm -hmm. have the sort of religious fervor and zeal for, mm -hmm. you know, the science or for mm -hmm. whatever other thing that has been hijacked. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that this is my point with humanity, right? Is like the, how would I put it? The hardware, hardware is the same. Mm -hmm. Right. You can mm -hmm. you can you can run you can run different software and, you know, slightly different operating systems and stuff. But uh, he, like like, for example, when I look at the sort of the crazy, crazy, super woke lefties and the ones who are like hyper into all the trans stuff and whatever, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, I'm like, look, uh, even though you people uh, are are godless in a sense, I think if we were back a few centuries ago. You, they would have been like the hardcore religious zealots. Like they would have yeah. been the ones who were like not modern, like full on. I, to me, that I think zealotry is actually like a personality trait. Mm -hmm. That's something that um, I, I've seemed to have, you know, worked out over over the last few years. Because mm -hmm. um, when people think of zealotry, they tend to think of it as like religiosity. And I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, you can have someone who whatever you give me, it could be religion, it could right. be this ideology, it could be that, it could be this political view, whatever. And there's just a type of person who will be 
deeply zealous and deeply aggressive and hyper intolerant mm -hmm. like once they think they have the right the right idea or the right way way of how things should be mm -hmm. and they cannot tolerate it and that can happen that can happen on religious grounds with religious extremists it can happen on political grounds with political extremists it can happen on um other socio-cultural and ideological grounds i think mm -hmm. that's just like a personality type there's just right. some people who are just extreme it doesn't matter if they're right wing or left wing or yeah it's it's like you know the militant atheists like not not like someone who's just like you know what i don't believe in god yeah but the ones who are like you know they're evangelical there's evangelical atheists right they go around wanting to convert people and be again being being very aggressive with it they they define themselves by their atheism which mm -hmm. which to me is funny because i'm like well if you don't believe in god why why are you like why, why, why do you define yourself? I don't yeah. define myself by what I don't believe. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be weird for me to be like, well, I don't believe this. I don't believe that. Yeah. It's like, well, what do you believe? Why don't you talk about what you believe rather right. than spending so much time and energy, um, you know, forcing your disbelief on others. Right. That <laughs> it's, actually it's, makes it's so much concept. sense. I've never thought about that. Why are, why is there a label based on what you don't believe? Like that, that actually is really funny. I've never thought about it like that. Yeah. It's odd. It's yeah. Odd. And what, it, what also happens with that is it keeps people in fight mode, uh -huh. right? If you define yourself by, it's generally much more positive and people who, um, I, I've generally found that people who define themselves by what they believe and what they support rather than simply what they oppose, uh, tend to be a lot happier and content, more right. content, because then you're you're representing your beliefs rather than just attacking other ones. Do you see yeah. what I mean? So yeah. if it's just like if you define yourself explicitly as an anti-theist, now you are basing your own life and mission and personality and the way like about attacking this idea of God and religion mm -hmm. instead of just being like you know okay, like that, I don't, I don't personally believe that or whatever, yeah. but it, it, it's a, it's a different, it's a, it's just a different mindset. Yeah. Um, and I, I see this with politics too. It's why I don't even really like, you know, I would never call myself, for example, anti-woke. Yeah. I wouldn't describe, right. Someone might be, oh, Zuby's anti-woke. And I'm, I wouldn't call myself anti-woke. Like I'm just, I'm pro personal responsibility. Yeah. I'm pro accountability. I'm pro self-improvement. Um, I, I, this is my faith. This is my belief. Like these are the, these are the things I'm for. Right. Does that naturally mean that I'm going to oppose certain things? Yes. But I don't like define myself as like an anti-woke crusader yeah. who's just trying to see everything that's woke and attack that and attack right. that and react to this and be outraged by that. Because also when that happens, you're just, you can be very easily triggered and manipulated. Right. Right. I'm sure you've seen people who all they do, right. They just, they just attack and criticize bad ideas. Yeah. They, they're not coming with good ideas and saying, yeah. okay, well, here's a better here's a better answer or here's a better way to look at it. Yeah. It's just like perfect example, anti-racists, okay. right. anti-racists, right? This new mm -hmm. anti-racism stuff, right? Where they dedicate their whole life to fighting the ghost of racism, right? right? They're looking, they're looking for it and seeing it in places where like you or I can't even see it. I'm like, wait, I didn't even see it. And they're there and they're just fighting every day, their whole Twitter account, their yeah. whole thing. They're writing books, anti-racism, anti, I'm fighting racism. Fight. I'm like, bro, just don't be racist. Right. Like, just don't just, you know what I mean? Like, just, 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 chill. you don't need to go on some crusade and turn this again into your secular religion, yeah. which yeah. has its own tenets, its own commandments. And they've got their own special language that they use. Um, they've got their own version of original sin. They've got, they've got exactly. all of the framework, but none of the salvation. Yeah.
this I'll go back to this idea that I said that life is uh, constantly a, a battleground between fear and hope. And so when you talk about like defining yourself from what you don't believe in or using a negative, right, saying I'm, I'm anti-racist or I'm anti-woke, you're using fear to propel your message, right, which is that um, you should be afraid of X thing, but you're not really providing a solution. I think this is the biggest issue uh, in politics right now is all these labels that we've created. Uh, we have a label for every single type of political identity that you can have. Um, and what that does is that it actually confines people in these boxes. People like their boxes. People like to be confined mm -hmm. and identified um, as a certain thing. It gives them, again, it gives them a purpose, right? So going back to the thing of we need purpose and now people are finding it in political identity. Um, so this, the big issue that I'm seeing is this. There's a lot of commentary, right? There's a, from all sides, the extreme sides of all like political, religious, um, I guess, affiliations where people are just talking and talking and talking and talking about what they don't believe in. But there's, there's very rarely people actually making the change that they want to see in the world. Like people actually going out and creating something that will act as a um, testimony for everything they believe in. I mean, the left does this. Like they've taken over political institutions. They've taken over academic institutions. And so their ideologies are being taught in uh, these universities. Their ideologies are being taught in public schools. They're actually going out and taking over. I rarely see that from people who are like, you know, I want to see more beauty in this world. I want to see mm. um, more meaning and purpose. Well, what are you actually doing that's going to counter all of the stuff that you're, you, you stand mm. against, right? You have to give people a better alternative. Yes, you have, you to, have give to give people a better yes. alternative. Yeah. And a lot of, just, again, just, just the other days, because, you know, we were having... <laughs> some of the, the whole Andrew Tate conversation, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I know him, I know I've known him for years. He's been on my podcast twice. I've hung out with him. Yeah. I, I saw him, him on your podcast. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, so many people are, that's what I was saying the other day. I was like, why, why do, rather than just attacking and criticizing attacking, it's like, why do you think he became so popular? Like why, like what is, what's the void mm -hmm. in the world mm -hmm. that he is speaking? What are the truths mm -hmm. that he is saying? that are not being spoken right? right what are the right so yes i can i can get but this is people are so jacked up on their emotions they're like well what's this and this they, they're caught up on these on these little things and i'm like look and the, the people someone will send me a 30 second clip and they're like well defend this and i'm like i'm not defending that i don't support yeah. that statement right but i can understand and appreciate why there's this vacuum why did jordan peterson rise up like the 2016 to uh -huh. 2020 wh why like what was going on in the world that someone telling you to clean your room and take mm -hmm. personal responsibility and talking about these old biblical stories. And, you know, I don't think in the 1990 or, you know, 1998, he would have risen to such prominence, even if no. we'd had the technology, right? It's like, look, the world mm -hmm. is in a certain space. Even if I look at what I do, I mean, and, and people who know me all around the world are just like, man, like, you're like just the voice of common sense. Right, right. right. Like, I'm listening to all you like, and you're just right. making sense. And, I, and I'm like, dude, how have I managed to amass like approaching 2 million followers on social media in a few years by saying stuff I feel like I shouldn't even have to say. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't think I put anything out there. Like, I th Cool, I'm good at articulating what I think, mm -hmm. but 
literally I look at I look at like 80% of my tweets and I'm like, yeah. why do I even have to say this? Like this should be this yeah, should common be a given. Sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, and that's I think I don't even know why this is. And this is largely why I'm studying psychology as well, because I'm very interested in happening. I'm sorry, interested in learning about why all of this is happening. Right. Like, yes. why are people becoming so oblivious to common truths? And I'm always reminded of like, I don't know if you've seen The Hunger Games, um, but in The Hunger Games, they show you a very progressive society that, you know, dyes their hair. It's very like, low IQ um, and they, you know, they, they enjoy watching people in a children in a stadium fighting to the death. Like mm -hmm. for me, that's actually very reflective of the society we're living in because we like, if you look at celebrities, if you look at the very like well off wealthy individuals of the Western world, they are living in their own bu bubble. They are living in mm -hmm. uh, a bubble of privilege um, and they can be willingly ignorant to what's happening to the rest of the world. You know, like they can just go off and do whatever they want and look weird and not actually care about anything because it doesn't touch them, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I'm wondering if that's what's happening. I'm wondering if that's affecting even people on a much larger scale now, younger generations, because we're living in a bubble of privilege. Even a, a person growing up in the Western world, you are living probably like a way better lifestyle, even if you don't have a lot, even if you're not rich, probably living in a way better lifestyle than somebody in Pakistan, I would say, that, you oh, know, oh, makes you know, like, and so... I, and I went to Pakistan. When I went to Pakistan, I visited in 2020. I'm not even kidding. I was sitting down. I was eating my food. A little girl and her clothes are like torn apart. She's covered in dirt. She's like five years old. And she's asking me for food because she's hungry. Yeah. And stuff yeah. like that, when you see something like that, it literally flips your world upside down. It completely mm -hmm. changes your perspective. Um, and so I, I came back here and I was like, wow, we live in such a privileged society and it's not even people a matter are, of you know Riggs, people are people are eating themselves to death mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> there's so much there's so much food and there's so much abundant like when was the last time someone starved to death <laughs> in the a, united states a, or in canada or in the there's UK? a scene in the hunger games where you know these uh people from a poor district they go to the capital the capital is the progressive society and the people at the capital are like hey drink this um drink this like drink that we have for you if you're full so you can throw up all of your food and keep eating mm -hmm. it's pretty much and where we are that that is where we are <laughs> that's exactly where we are it's pretty, it's pretty much where we are that's exactly and if you where say anything are. about it then you're the bad guy you're the you're the fat phobic bigot a hundred percent and it's goofy. so crazy that in in the western world we create enemies like it's hard to explain this um i'll try but we create enemies amongst us like where they don't exist like for example white privilege oh you are so much more privileged privileged than i am whereas you know there's a person in middle class that can afford a tesla saying i'm not privileged i'm i'm actually very worse off and society is not geared towards <laughs> i'm just going off but you know what i mean like everybody wants to be a victim it's the right. oppression olympics right everybody you know everybody um right except those of us who push back against it. Mm -hmm. Rubes, 
I feel like we could talk for many, many hours. I'm sure I'll get you back on the podcast at some time in the future. Um, but where can people find and follow you online? Yeah, so right now I only mainly use Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Tish Ray uh, or Rubes. You can look it up on Google. And I also have a Substack. It's linked to my Twitter. You can find that. I, I talk a lot more in depth about uh, these concepts that we've talked about on the podcast. Awesome. You're a smart young woman. Keep it up. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ruby, for having me. This has been great. I appreciate you. Take care. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.